Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. I am your host, David Thackeray. I'm a hospitality professional with two decades of experience in the bar and restaurant industry. My pursuit in this podcast is to have difficult conversations of our industry and of society as a whole. Given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. And this is why I agreed to appear before you today. Okay, so I had to do this podcast all over again. And the reason why is because, I mean, I decided to do it, but earlier this week on Monday, it was ready to go. But I figured that I that I hold off and uh, wait until the debates and and see if I needed to add anything else to it. Well, now we know what happened on the debates. If you if you don't, then you're living under a rock. And congratulations. And I'm very disappointed because congratulations for finding that fucking rock. And I'm very disappointed that you put that much effort into getting underneath it. But anyhow. You know, the, the, the episode was on malicious. And it was basically what I wanted to do with it is to talk to liberals, right? Because, uh, you know, imagine m- most of the people that are listening to this podcast are probably uh, liberals, even though I know some conservatives that do listen. But neither here nor there, I, I, e- either one... Um, this part, I wanted to talk uh, to everyone about what a militia is, right? And it's a, in, it, in its basic core, and to take out some elements and, and compare it to other things. But then the president goes on and basically gives a shout out to a, a militia that is known for, for its violence, who's its founder explicitly has said no we're violent this is what we do we, we we go out there we punch people in the face and some people if we can kill them then we will and he, and he even has said you know saying kill one person it's illegal is a threat but if you just say kill the whole group then it's just it's just rhetoric Antifa and groups like the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer have battled in the streets of multiple American cities. Heather Heyer was murdered in a fascist terrorist attack on counter-protesters in Charlottesville. The MAGA bomber and the Tree of Life synagogue shooter both struck at political and racial enemies of the far right in the same week. In June of 2017, almost exactly a year after Alex Jones's rally at the RNC, Dana Loesch of the NRA put up a video that seems almost tailor-made to highlight how much worse things got the months after the election. What is a Proud Boy? This organization, the Proud Boys, what are they all about, right? So it got started by um, a co-founder of uh, Vice Media. Uh, His name is uh, Gavin uh, McInnes. And he got the name from the Proud of Your Boys um, uh, song from the musical Aladdin from Disney. Well, somehow doesn't surprise me that he's motivated by Disney, but that's a different story. Um, and yeah, this is a group that he got together and is supposed to be 
a fraternal group of uh, drinking buddies, but um, they really got their um, they they came to be known uh, after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, where where there was um, at least one death. The, the this the one that the president says to you know stand down, stand by, which made them go crazy on Twitter, and immediately within like five or ten minutes of uh, him saying that they had a new uh, badge uh, for their colors or I can't remember what it was, but insignia um, that is said, you know, stand down, stand by with the Proud Boys uh, um, logo on it. So, you know, you know, I, I, I went back, started doing a little bit of the uh, research um, for this to add a bit more. And what ended up happening is I went through this rabbit hole of information because, you know, you come across something and it takes you to another one. For instance, Ted Cruz, the senator of Texas, his father, uh, Fred uh, Cruz, is um, a devout Christian uh, dominionist. And I watched some of his stuff and fuck, man. (laughs) <laughs> this guy is, is out there, you know, um, and I'll, I'll do another episode on that. But let me go ahead and then and go into militias. OK, so what is a militia? A militia is a military force that is uh, raised from the civil population to supplement a regular army in an emergency. Or it could also be a... Uh, Military force that engages in rebel or terrorist activities in opposition to a regular army. Right? And, um, or it could be a private group of armed individuals that operates as a paramilitary force and is typically motivated by political or religious ideology. That is a militia. And so, you know, that's the that's what I'm saying is like whenever you look at the definition of a militia and some of the stuff that I found, I was like, well, fuck, this is a lot more than I was expecting to talk about. But let me go ahead and go into the basics of what I wanted to talk about. Initially, some of the things you should know about a militia is that at its very core, it's an it's an organization where people get to um, know one another in a way that we get to know one another at work. Right. And what do I mean by that? Well, for those of you that are industry, um, anytime that you have opened a restaurant or bar, like brand new, uh, then you know that you go through this process of, uh, of everything is new, right? They haven't finished the building. It's uh, new managers. You're trying to figure out who the main manager, who's really in charge. Is that guy the owner? Is he an investor? Is he the GM? Is it what's who's the AGM? They haven't hired one. Oh, okay, who's uh, the next person in charge? You know, there's all these different things. The chef, the sous chef, the kitchen manager, all those things. Then you have your staff, your co-workers, people that you're going to to work with, you know, you want to know you, if, if you've done this before, then you kind of want to figure out who's who's the dead weight and who's not. Um, but it, it, it usually it makes itself clear through through the training process. So because you always have somebody that needs to leave early or they need to go to the bathroom or they need to do whatever it is other than work. 
so you get to know one another. But it starts with kind of like a conversation, introduction, then you get into a bit of a textbook. You know, they, you might talk about the menu and conceptually what the place is going to be like and how it's, what's going to be different about it and, and um, from other places and, um, and all that. And what your part in that is. A militia is very similar to that because you join a militia, you, you go through whatever process of joining uh, it, it is. And for instance, I found one that here in, in Texas, basically you just have to own a rifle, uh, be a citizen, um, and uh, be willing to commit to defending the, uh, the United States and the Constitution. Simple enough, right? But that, that, that last part, that the ideology of what, uh, the, how you interpret the Constitution can take you into two very into many not just two but many different places right because in, in in the surface there's nothing wrong with that like nearly any uh, citizen in the United States be willing to defend the Constitution so is, is that basic but the ideology is what changes it so anyhow you go through that process then let's say that you meet once a month and whenever you go and you meet, you're going to talk. There's going to be some classroom. And then you get into the training. The training could be first aid. It could be water purification. It could be food storage. It could be um, a map navigation, how to read a map. It could be um, a lot of different things. Um, and all those things you can use in a natural disaster. So the militias, you know, you take away the firearms aspect of it, and they're like preppers. Now, I'm told that preppers have a bad rep because of TV shows and, and how they present them as, you know, the tinfoil hat type of person. But which one of you that went to the store back in March to empty shelves didn't wish you knew somebody with a fucking tinfoil hat. Right? Because in the movies, and I'll talk about the movies here in a second, in the movies, that's always the person that has all the, the, the provisions. You know, they have a room full of food and they got, you know, generator and they got, they got, all, the, they got all the toys that seem really ridiculous during a time of peace and, and prosperity. But in a time of disaster... It's essential. They're essential. So here's the thing I have to say about movies. And as we get into the firearms aspect of, of militias. In movies, there's two types of, of people with guns. There's the, the person that talks with the gun in their hand. So they're waving it around like an idiot to everyone around. And nobody thinks anything of it. Right. And that is extremely dangerous that it goes counter to the very basic rules of firearms. And um, and so but you, you see that all the time. There's always somebody with a fucking gun with, the, with their finger on the trigger. Waving the runner, you know, talking with their hands, but with a gun in their hands. All right. So there's that type, which is an idiot. And then you have the other type, which is the expert. Right. The hero is always an expert at shooting. Like, he shoots and doesn't miss, and everybody falls whenever they shoot him, and they, they know every weapon, except whenever there's the main bad guy that he's trying to shoot where he always misses until the very end. 
But there's only those two types, right? You, you have the expert and they have the idiot. And unfortunately, too many people take their cues when it comes to firearms from the movies. And they're completely wrong. Because the very basics of, of firearms is that you, you, you treat every single firearm, every gun, rifle, pistol, uh, one, treat every weapon uh, as if it's loaded, or every firearm as if it's loaded. Two, uh, don't uh, point that gun at anything you don't intend to shoot. Three, uh, to keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. And uh, four, uh, you own every single bullet that you shoot out of that gun, so make sure that you know what's behind your target. In other words, if you happen to miss, what are you going to hit? You're going to hit just a, a wall, or are you going to hit a person or a car? And if it's a wall, is it a wall that the bullet can go through, or is it a brick wall? This is going to stop there. Um, and those are the basics of firearms. So... In Hollywood, you have a bunch of just really bad examples of how to handle a handgun. Now, firearms in a militia. Well, once you get to that firearms training, you're doing it in groups. So you learn how to move and shoot, for one. Secondly, you learn how to do specific formations based on the threat that they're in. So if you're in an urban area, if you're in a desert area, if you're in a jungle area, all those type of things. And... And that makes militias very dangerous in a case where they follow an ideology that's counter to what, you know, to a democracy or counter to um, a society that is, is tolerant to one another. And, um, and they're looking to establish something different. I'm not saying all militias are fucking nuts, but some of them are. And that makes them very, very dangerous. I mean, in particular, there's one called the three percenters. And the, the name comes from the idea that only 3% of the population during the, the uh, American Revolution actually fought. Only 3% of the population during the American Revolution fought against the British. Think about that. So it doesn't require that everyone fight fight i mean it doesn't take that many people they just have to be armed and aggressive i mean that's just it and so the thing is is i'm not trying to be an alarmist here i just want you to be aware of what these things are because oftentimes i see people on the left liberals making fun of militias and making fun of the people that are that are dressing up and showing up to to protest with all their gear and you know it's like oh look at that guy overweight look at that goofy looking dude look at that none of that shit matters when you're proficient to <laughs> with the tactics uh and skills necessary to to impose violence and that's unfortunate again like all this shit is like you know you you regardless of how you feel about the president you have to put it on him that a leader is supposed to bring people together again a leader's role is to bring people together now if his role is to bring extremists together then he has done that very effectively if it is to bring the entire country together then he has failed miserably but again 
if the objective is not what we think it is, then obviously we're going to be judging it incorrectly. Even at Charlottesville, President Trump was unwilling to fully condemn the neo-Nazi demonstrators, declaring that there were good people on both sides. So who do you think he'll support in a battle between cops and protesters outside of his big dumb tower? He literally ran as the law and order president. Just last October, 2018, President Trump declared Democrats to be anti-police and the party of crime. And, and our society has become very, very tribal, right? And so in order to have a, a large civilized uh, society, you need leaders that can bring the majority of the people, the grand majority of people, together. And from the very beginning, he has only concerned himself with his, with his base, with his followers, and no one else. So let's be clear about that. Now, when it comes to the militias, again, um, they're training, they're doing, all, they're doing all this stuff in order to be prepared in case that tyranny ever comes down. Right. You know, they, they usually are anti-government um, because they feel that the reason they want to be armed and ready is in case that the government ever, ever oversteps. The problem that we have today is that the government is side by side with these militias in their ideology. And uh, that is extremely dangerous because it's the fringe. This is not you know the majority of people this is this is a fringe so some of those things that they learn they learn from special forces uh, veterans and a lot of veterans are in militias and a lot of special forces veterans teach it's interesting that to me that um, some of the things some of those really popular uh, YouTube channels uh, of uh, firearms, which you can find tons and tons of training on there. But some of those very, very popular channels are, um, a few of them live here in Texas. They're, they're in Austin. And recently having Joe Rogan move to Texas made me think, it's like, man, we're like, why would he leave um, California? You know, California is beautiful. And... Um, Given his position, like he keeps going, he keeps showing his colors more and more. His color is red, right? And so I think he's tired of being in the blue state, you know, because of his political stance. And that's fine. It's, you know, that's, that's, that's our freedoms, right? But he comes to, to Texas and now he's setting up in Austin. And, you know, it almost feels, you know, the only assumption that I can make is, is almost as if, if, if civil war was to break out, he wants to be in a red state. And all of these firearms instructors that live in Austin, um, I'm like, why Austin? Like, of all liberal places or, you know, of all in a red state, like, why would you want to be in Austin? Like one of those liberal places uh, in Texas. And it just came to me that is these people want to make a stand in, in the in the capital of Texas, for one, like they don't want to let the liberals take it. And taking a recent trip to 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 Austin, I realized Austin real reminds me now of of California in the '90s. And California in the '90s was very very. It's going it was going through a, a hardcore conservative uh, uh, 
spur, so to speak, right? Because being so close to the border, Southern California got really conservative. And that is what Austin makes me think of now that all these people are here. It's, it's, it's what produced Stephen Miller, Southern California in the 90s. Uh, there's a very interesting article on that. Um, I'll see if I can find it and I'll put a link on it. But, you know, initially, like I said, this podcast was, podcast was uh, this episode, I wanted it to be just about, like, the functional aspects of, of, a, of a militia. Again, meaning, like, you know, knowing how to pure, pure, clean your water, purify water. Why? Because in Houston, we've had problems with our, our municipal and our city water being contaminated so yeah they either put a boil um, uh, notice uh, on us or uh, during hurricanes and a lot of flooding you know that the water gets dirty so you have to boil it and so knowing how to do it having uh, different filters like the Berkey uh, uh, filter system um, that is out there uh, knowing uh, having a, a power generator or having some sort of solar you know, I got myself a solar battery for my cell phone, you know, so it's just like your battery pack, except it has a couple of uh, panels uh, for to charge the battery uh, with solar. And there's a lot of little things like that that you can learn, um, you know, as a prepper. And the militia, well, I mean, like I said, it's just it brings people together. They're able to know how to handle a situation where there is violence. There's already some evidence that President Trump's most violent fans are willing to go out shooting in order to ensure his political survival. Early in 2019, Coast Guard Lieutenant Christopher Hassan was busted by the FBI with a kill list of the president's political enemies and a sizable arsenal. In the weeks prior to his arrest, Hassan's Google searches included What if Trump illegally impeached and Civil War if Trump impeached. In a situation where President Trump's very political survival is imperiled, and where police around the country find themselves overwhelmed and pushed past the breaking point, it's not hard to imagine Donald Trump turning to his most fervent supporters for help, militiamen and so-called Second Amendment people, like Lieutenant Hassan. He already called on those folks, coyly, during the election. You think there's no chance he would call for violence if his freedom was at stake? So again, I don't like to be an alarmist, and that's a few people, few few accounts on social media. But unfortunately, social media has uh, such a grip on us and has uh, uh, created a, a very dense echo chamber that I feel uh, people who are willing to say, like, look, that's too much. I'm going to take a step back. And, uh, and and not not respond to these things, right? Instead, we got a lot of people stepping in into that 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 really noisy, borderline violent um, rhetoric. And so, I know that some of you may not be prepared and really have full faith in this country in in the constitution and in in the ability of human beings to step back from that edge because 
violence at that level is not going to benefit anyone except a few people at the top. And you are not at the top. You and I are not at the top. So holding those those beliefs that we have the ability to get away from this it's it's essential it's it's a fundamental but the problem that i also see with that is like if some crazy group or violent group i'm not even calling i'm not going to call them crazy because as dave chappelle says that is dismissive i'm not going to be dismissive if a violent group decides to go full on and as we saw in Kenosha, there was colluding between the militias and the police departments. In the event the president was impeached, or in the likelier event he is voted out of power in 2020, the threat of violence is very real. When I first wrote those words in February of 2019, it did seem kind of unlikely to me that, that, that you know, the president would call on militias to help him maintain power. But then, just a couple of weeks after I wrote those words, in an interview with Breitbart News, President Donald Trump said this, I can tell you I have the support of the police, the support of the military, the support of the bikers for Trump. I have the tough people, but they don't play it tough until they go to a certain point, and then it would be very bad, very bad. And let me note, just for your reference, when I listened to Alex Jones speak at the Republican National Convention in 2016, the armed security for that event were the bikers for Trump. So the clips that you've been hearing are from a podcast called It Could Happen Here. It is a reporter um, that put that together. It's about six episodes, six, seven episodes. And it um, he has been in Fallujah and in Syria during the Civil War. And um, so he has experience with what it looks like whenever a unrest civil unrest that turns into civil war uh looks like so give it a, a listen um again it's called it could happen here you can find it on apple Podcasts and all the other places that you find podcasts and it takes you step by step if you're high anxiety don't listen to it because uh he goes through every possible rabbit hole meaning every episode he gives a different scenario how things could could advance and next episode, he pulls back and goes, okay, it could be, or it could be this other thing. And it's a great um, thought exercise. Um, but again, if you're a high anxiety person, I wouldn't recommend it. Talk to the people around you that may be in an echo chamber about like, look, we need to take a step back. We, we, have, to, we have to fix this, right? And when I say we have to fix this, I mean you, your friends, your family members. Like there has to be like, okay, that we can't go into violence. That is the the terror, the worst case scenario. So I hope that I have uh, opened your eyes a little bit. I hope that I haven't freaked you the fuck out. I hope that you are able to take this information. Do a quick check as to where you stand and your friends and your family. And what will you, what will you do? You know, and start with thinking in, in, in simpler terms without the violence. What would you do 
if there was a Katrina situation where you live, where you're completely cut off from uh, the government, right, government help, and you have to go out and get your own water and your own food and all those things. You know, keeping canned foods in, uh, in, in your closet is, is not a crazy thing at all. You can eat those foods at any time before the expiration date. And even within, I think it's a year of the expiration date, you still find on most items. I'm not an expert, so um, don't take my 100% word on it. I would probably eat some some things, but not other things. Point is, you can keep food in the closet, canned food. Make sure that it's a variety of food, that you don't get sick and tired of it. Um, there's, there's filters online that you can get. Uh, I think there's one called the mini, I don't know. Uh, I'll do an episode on this, on, on, on items um, exclusively, uh, coming up soon. So that way you know uh, what to get. Um, you know, it's a $20 filter. It'll filter up to 100,000 gallons of water, okay? So between boiling it and running it through the filter, you'll be fine, okay? And then what do you do if you're without electricity for two weeks? What would you do? Like, just, just ask yourself these things in the, in the, from the point of view of natural disasters. And just prepare for that. <clears throat> and then finally, once you're ready, then just go, what if there was, you know, something worse happening? I suggest that if you're the type of person that could put things in perspective, that are, is pragmatic enough to listen to extreme thoughts and in the in the exercise of intelligence in the exercise of just exposing your mind to a world that is different based on certain sequence of events then uh, you should check out the podcast it could happen here if you're the type of person that has high anxiety and really freaks out on on these thoughts do not listen to this because it's not going to make things any any better i think i think what i've told you right now is probably more than enough um so that way it's you you know that the possibility exists within the context of a 200 year old uh country 250 year old country right so it's is that it's high it's unlikely um it used to be highly unlikely right now i think it's just unlikely we hope some but anyways I'll, I'll stop there if you're a high anxiety person i say just prepare for a natural disaster and then we can go from there so why am i talking about this um there's a really really simple answer and that is that uh i've known of the uh, boogaloo Right, Second Civil War for at least five years uh, or so. And at that time, it was just uh, a fringe, this idea of these guys that like to you know, run around in their gear, military gear, um, pretending that uh, they're saving the world. But the ideology behind it is just um, pushed to the forefront of our society. And now we're at this point where everyone is aware of a second civil war. Not everyone, but I guess a lot of people are since 
the the president called out uh, for the Proud Boys to stand down, and, and the group is overtly violent towards liberals and the left and anything that has to do with that. And then you have every major city in the United States surrounded by very conservative counties. Um, you know, you it's a it's a strange situation, and the problem with this is is this is. is you, you, it's kind of like a, a restaurant or a bar that people will tell you how great it is, right? It's a, it's a really, now this is, they have the best, whatever, burger. They have the best drinks. They have the best hot dogs. They have the best food. And then you go to this place and, um, and it's not that great. But the thing is, and you see it is so, so popular. Everybody's saying how great the place is. But the thing is that, right? Enough people believe it. And so they make it so. And I'm afraid that that's where we are. We're in this place where enough people believe that this civil war has to happen, will happen. And, um, and that people in the suburbs are going to come and attack the people in the city. The, the people in the suburbs think that the, the, the city folks are going to go into the suburbs and attack them. And, uh, and when that thing starts, it just gives a reason for either side to justify their actions. And that's not even talking about the ideology uh, behind the, the Christian nationalism. I mean, that's even... That's quite the, the, the bag right there. That's, uh, that's a conversation all in itself. But just in the basic premise of, um, you know, I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican, I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat... And uh, I'm from the city, and you're from the suburbs. You're from the suburbs. I'm from the city. That that kind of all that back and forth is becomes a good excuse for someone to do something, and it's very dangerous. And um, and the reason I'm talking about this is because I want you to be aware. I want you to be prepared. I want you to make sure that you have a network of people that you can rely on during these hard times because like I said initially though this this entire thing was about just this is what a militia is and this is what type of network it is and this is how beneficial it is right of just having a network of people that you're able to to uh to get together with and talk about you know survival stuff and you know water water purification that is something that how many people in Flint have had to deal with and learn now, right? And they live in the United States of America. They live in the, in the, in, in the greatest country in the world, right? The most advanced country in the world. And yet, that's what they're dealing with. So it's, it's stuff that you can, you can use anytime. Here in Houston, sometimes we are out without electricity for days at a time. Um, in some events, it's been weeks at a time. So it's good to know what, how solar power and, and, and how to get things done without electricity, without having um, potable water coming out of the faucet. So all those things are great to learn. And the militias, they're prepared in all that. So all of those things that I talk about, I think it's important to know. And do you have that? That's the question. Because... The fact of the matter is that if something was to happen, um, then you'd be prepared. You'd have people that you know to go to, to rely on, that you're, you're sharing this burden with these, these challenges, that you're facing these challenges with these people. 
Uh, that's the interesting thing and the beneficial thing about these militias that they have going for them. I'm not saying go out there and join a militia. I was just a few feet away when Adult Swim's Eric Andre showed up to troll Jones. I know a lot of people watched that moment on TV or on YouTube. What you may not have seen was how close the crowd looked to tearing Andre apart. Some of those people wanted to fucking kill him. Most of that armed, angry crowd was polite enough to me, lily white, bearded southerner that I am. But several of them made it clear that they believed a fight was coming. We have to take back our country, no matter what was the general sentiment. Coming from the mouth of someone dressed like they just stepped out of downtown Fallujah, it sent a chill down my spine. By the time September rolled around, I'd started seriously thinking about the possibility of a second American Civil War. I decided to write an article about it for Cracked, where I worked as an editor. I didn't want it to just be my speculation, so I reached out to a number of experts, ex-federal agents and military officers and Civil War scholars. One of these experts was David Kilcolin, former chief strategist for the U.S. State Department and a major architect of the surge in Iraq. He's one of the world's leading counterinsurgency experts. When I reached out to these people, I had very little faith that any of them would respond to me. My topic seemed too far-fetched and ridiculous, and these were all serious people. I didn't think they'd waste their time with my speculative sci-fi bullshit. To my surprise, every one of them responded to me, and to my growing discomfort, none of them thought the topic was ridiculous. David Kilcolan told me he'd been researching the idea for a while. He did not think a Civil War II was imminent, but he worried about it. Everyone I talked to worried about it. They all saw warning signs that our nation might be inching closer to unspeakable violence. In the years since, the rest of the world seems to be catching up to this possibility. Since President Trump's election, we have seen a mighty surge in political violence across the country. So again, what you just heard was a clip from the podcast, It Could Happen Here. And that was recorded in February of 2019, essentially a year before the pandemic started, you know, now a year and a half ago. And I think that things have inched a little bit closer. Well, like I said, I really hope that this is just informative to you and gives you some ideas. And I'm going to repeat myself one last time. Prepare as if there's a natural disaster coming. And at the very least, you'll be able to have some food and water and some supplies in the case that something happens and it doesn't last. You know, food supply does become scar uh, a bit sparse whenever these things uh, occur. But um, more than anything, I think I want you to be aware of what people are saying whenever they talk about some of these things. They're not as benign as as uh, we once thought they were. They're they're very uh, potentially uh, dangerous uh, situations. So. Hopefully you're able to put uh, some of those fires out. If not, at least you'll be somewhat prepared. One last thing. About a couple of years ago, I remember I had an Uber driver that was Russian. We, talk, we started to talk, and he told me he had gotten here in the uh, mid-2000s. And uh, I was in high school whenever the Berlin Wall fell, and so I knew that the 90s were some really tough times in Russia. And I asked him, what was it like? He told me a little bit about that, but then I asked him, you know, what was your currency? And the, the, he said there were three things that you could use to trade at that time. And that was 80 proof alcohol, um, gasoline, 
and uh, feed for animals. And, uh, you know, I asked him about it, like gold and silver. He's like, yeah, you know, if you had it, but most people didn't have it. So these days, again, a lot of people have hoarded uh, gold and silver for a long time. Uh, there's also Bitcoin that people are, are speculating that will be the way to uh, transact uh, during some sort of uh, catastrophe. And that counts, obviously, as, as one. But that was a very interesting thing to ask someone who had lived through not just the fall of, of the government, but also the restructuring of it, because by the mid-2000s, uh, the Soviet Union had already started to take shape again. But the other part that he said was that, you know, the, the street gangs started to become essentially like the police. They were the ones that were running the uh, certain area and they wouldn't mess with you, uh, but they were the ones in charge. So there's that. If you have a smart device, you can listen on... Alexa, um, you can ask for the Open Bar experience. Also, we have our own website, which is openbar.space. You can check us out also on your favorite app, whether it's iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Check it out, the Open Bar experience. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going. <laughs>